Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope God uses our church to move you to love Him and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. Conflict is inevitable. Sure, it's uncomfortable. We might not like it, but there's no denying it. We can't run from it. Whether you're at work or at home, or precisely because you're trying to work from home, we all face conflict. But the question this morning is, why do Christians sometimes seem so especially bad at handling it? How has the church over time picked up this reputation uh, as a place where disagreements turn toxic? A couple weeks ago, Pastor John addressed this troubling insider-outsider mentality in the church. But this morning, we're going to be zeroing in on the issue of infighting and divisions within the family. Because look, conflict is inevitable, but toxicity is inexcusable. Uh, toxicity is evitable. We can and should avoid it. Now, I'll be honest, I grew up in a church full of great people. I loved it, especially the summertime, because that meant the camping trip. Each year, the parents had made this tradition where they would pack up their ice chests and tents and kids in suburbans, and we would head off to some mountain spot for the best week of the year. And there, we kids would roam, sometimes on bikes, sometimes trekking into the forest with our pocket knives and our flashlights, uh, wearing the same clothes for days in a row and getting away with it. But whatever adventure the day brought, we knew that in the evening, we would gather together as a church family, sit around a campfire, and there as we kids got our fingers sticky with s'mores, some dad would pull out an acoustic guitar and we would hear our parents raise their voices to worship Jesus beneath the night sky. And those were magical times. But they didn't last forever. See, over time, conflicts came up People were hurt. Pastors said things. Letters were exchanged. People left. My family left. And when the next summer rolled around, our church had split. The funny thing was that none of our families, in their stubbornness, wanted to give up those camping reservations. So sure enough, everyone drove up for that same weekend. But this year, most camped on one side, and my family was on the other. And as fate would have it, there was literally a chain-link fence that divided our two campsites. Well, I'll never forget, one day, we kids on both sides decided to meet at that forbidden fence. And there, against the protocols of our families, we talked. And uh, they were really kind. They tried to pretend like they weren't having that good of a time this year to make my sister and I feel better. But all too quickly, our parents called us away. And I rolled my eyes and pretended like I couldn't care less. But I remember peering through that fence and seeing the look on my best friend's face. And as we backed away step by step, I remember my friend's kid brother was kicking up dust and he was throwing pine cones as he went to let everyone know how stupid he thought this whole situation was. And that meant the world to me because in that moment, his gesture spoke for all of us kids. But that summer at 11 years old, in the name of Christianity and the Bible, I lost each one of those friends. 
So I don't know what your story is in relation to church people. I don't know what conflicts are fresh in your life and are on your mind. But I am saying today, as a pastor, as followers of Jesus, we've got to do better at addressing our conflicts. So this morning, we're once again going to the book of Acts to take a practical look at an embarrassing moment of conflict in the early church. People sometimes say that, uh, you know, the first church, you know, had it, had it made. Well, check out this story today. Now, it opens with a dynamic duo. Many of you know of Jordan and Pippin, Jim and Pam, Woody and Buzz. Well, the early church, they had Paul and Barnabas. The two went way back. See, before Paul was ever the saint that we know him as today, he was a young kid named Saul who was public enemy number one to Jesus' followers everywhere. That is, until one day, as he was literally on his way to do harm to Christians, the light of Jesus showed up and changed the course of his life forever. Trouble was, no church could be sure that the transformation was real. This guy was a dangerous dude, so who could take the risk? Until an older guy named Barnabas went to Saul, spoke with him, put his arm around him, and became his sponsor, laying his own reputation on the line so that Saul could join the family of Jesus. Forward years later, and the two have done incredible things. They've literally traveled the world together, telling people the good news of Jesus, seeing lives changed. They're used to facing conflict, and doing so standing shoulder to shoulder in the name of Jesus. But something's about to come up. There's an unexpected fork in the road. Acts chapter 15 reads like this. Later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left. Well, that escalated quickly. Uh, what is going on here? Notice first that the Bible does not shy away from conflict. It is fascinating that this incident ever becomes sacred scripture because none of the characters here come away looking good. But the Bible isn't just a book which reveals things about God, although it is that. It also is a book which reveals things about our humanity, and conflict is a real part of that. This conflict is a fiasco. The word for sharp disagreement in the Greek is paroxysmos, okay, which we've turned into a medical term meaning a sudden attack, convulsion, or worsening of symptoms. Meaning this isn't just like a, well, that was kind of embarrassing back there moment. No, this is a public fight between two well-known Christian leaders that shakes a community. So this morning, I'm simply going to offer four tips on how to address conflict that emerge from reflecting on this story. The first one's this, beware the blame game. Now, notice that this all starts with a seemingly tiny disagreement over who should be the third member of Paul and Barnabas' team. Enter the first candidate, Barnabas' cousin, the man with two first names, John Mark. Okay? The guy has already proven to be a difficult person, a difficult co-worker, a difficult member of the family. We all know this difficult person. Many of us are this difficult person from time to time. That's John Mark. At any rate, he has proven to be an unreliable third wheel in the past. He failed them. He left them when they needed him most. 
And now Paul and Barnabas disagree on what to do with him. This week I've realized just how much time and effort through the ages has been spent trying to answer the question, why did John Mark leave the first time? Because if we could just answer that question, not only could we make up our minds about him, but then we could determine who's at fault between Paul and Barnabas. History has not treated John Mark very kindly. Uh, He's been called uh, a mama's boy who got homesick. He's been called a coward and a quitter. Some have even suggested that maybe the guy was so out of shape that Paul didn't think he could keep up with them on the road. Like, I feel a little bit attacked by that last one. Over time, John Mark has come to be viewed as this sort of Yoko figure in the early church, the one who broke up the band. These are all real guesses as to the real reason behind John Mark's disappearance. But what does this reveal about us, this obsession with finding out who's to blame in this story? Well, I think it shows that it's easy to get caught up in the gossip, in the chisme. Problem is, this is an adventure in missing the point. That's often what the blame game is. See, blame is easy to dish out and responsibility is hard to accept. In tense situations, the shortest route to self-justification and just beyond that to is to become fixated on assigning blame. Trouble is, that rarely leads to positive growth or solutions. Beware the blame game. Tip number two, if you want to avoid a conflict going nuclear, before taking it personally, address personality. Uh, Before COVID hit, I was in this small group here at Prodigal where we talked about this thing called the Enneagram. So to the uninitiated out there, the Enneagram is basically a personality assessment tool that helps people to understand nine different personality types, each with their own goals, strengths, weaknesses, and fears. I'm a type three if that means anything to you. If not, you can go look up the test online. It's a pretty cool thing. Well, anyways, in this group, we gather together each week to laugh, to learn about ourselves, how God has wired us, and to have real conversations with other people who have different outlooks and makeup. And one week, our friend Rob came to our group and he had us read this story between the split of Paul and Barnabas. And he asked us to note how personality may have factored into this split. It's a fascinating exercise, not only in addressing this conflict, but in addressing the conflicts in which uh, we're involved right now. See, from their own vantage points, both Paul and Barnabas were right. Paul's a pragmatist. So when he looks at John Mark, he's, he's looking ahead to the road that lies beyond them, to this dangerous path that they're about to take. And he sees this guy is a bad hire on paper. He can't be trusted. And he's right. There's a risk involved. Meanwhile, Barnabas is the ultimate optimist. He's the people person. He just sees this young, struggling family member who just needs a second chance to unleash all of his potential. You know, like the second chance he'd given Saul all those years before. Of course, he's got a point. From their own perspectives, they're both right. And based on our personalities, we might be more Team Paul or Team Barnabas this morning. That's okay. We don't have to make every disagreement personal. In fact, we can disagree with one another and sometimes even go in different directions without rejecting one another or becoming toxic. So one for you church folk out there. Can we please stop 
over-spiritualizing every disagreement that we have? Why do we have to drag God into some of our petty things? Uh, Like, there's this mentality that some of us pick up in the church where if I'm a person of faith and I'm going in this direction, someone else is going another, then I tend to think God is with me, but not them. I love Jesus and I'm following him. They're not. I'm faithful. They're fake. This is a very dangerous mentality. Pastor and theologian Dr. Barbara Brown warns us writing this, beware those who cannot tell God's will from their own. Some conflict, my friends, is neither personal nor theological. It's simply a matter of personality. And if we can learn to take that into consideration, the ways that we're wired to see things differently, sometimes it can de-escalate some of the tension in the relationships that we're holding. Now, what's to be done in the aftermath of a conflict? So you and I uh, disagreed, things went poorly, now what? Tip three is this, respect the distance. Meaning, conduct yourself in a way that honors the other person despite the distance between you. Right now, we're all learning how to relate to one another at a distance, social distancing, uh, distance learning, right? That's the name of the game uh, this week. I hope that's going well for you. We're in long-distance relationships with our loved ones. And so this morning, I want us to consider how do we handle distance that's produced by conflict? See, as far as we know, Paul and Barnabas never did reunite. But in Paul's letters, even years later, we find him choosing to speak well of Barnabas, honoring him, his work ethic, their time together. And this is significant because after a breakup of any sort, as time passes, it becomes ever easier to speak poorly of the other person, to share more about them than we know that we should, to frame them in a negative light. And I get it, who really wants to praise their ex or to speak uh, well of the boss who let us go? This is hard to do, but because Paul values his relationship and brotherhood with Barnabas, he chooses to use words that demonstrate respect from a distance. This week, as we struggle to communicate, as we experience conflict at a distance, how can you choose words that demonstrate your respect for others and the attitude of Jesus? And finally this, Stay open to change your mind. So here's a big question for you. What's one important thing you've changed your mind on recently? One important thing you've changed your mind on recently. Now, for those of us who like to think we're right all the time, this question can feel threatening because somewhere along the line, we've picked up this idea that um, to be strong and to have conviction means that we never apologize. We never show doubt. We never admit we're wrong. In conflict, we like to double down and to just uh, hold the line. But sometimes, again, this can lead to unhealthy decisions. I suspect some of this of us this morning, if we were honest, might admit that we would rather stay wrong but be perceived as strong and consistent, then have to turn and say, you're right, I'm sorry. And that's exactly why it's so impressive that near the end of his life, proactively, Paul reaches out in his second letter to Timothy, chapter four, he writes this, get Mark and bring him with you because he is a great help to me in my ministry. Wait, what the heck? Mark the quitter? The Yoko, the failure, the guy who you threw away the thing with Barnabas because you said he wasn't going to be a help. Now you've changed your mind? Yes, and that's okay. 
uh, Paul has grown during this time. He's heard about the work that God has done in Mark's life. And he has decided that because of his relationship with Jesus, he's going to adopt a new posture. He's going to admit, my earlier posture uh, no longer fits this relationship. It's not only okay that Paul decides to change his mind. It's one of the reasons his voice is so trusted by many today. According to three-time world debate champion, Julia Dar, an expert in conflict, one of the things that makes you a persuasive person is being open to persuasion yourself. Catch this, okay? If we want to open up the perspectives of others, we first need to be open to change our own minds. And this fits with our theology because as followers of Jesus, our central value of loving God and loving neighbors should regularly lead us to reevaluate our other positions and attitudes and postures. That's faithfulness. So this week I wonder if we could just reduce a bit of our ego from the arguments we're in. What could Jesus do in that space? What must this small one-liner of a message have meant to Mark? So yeah, Conflict is inevitable, but as followers of Jesus, we can't allow it to make us toxic. We don't have to be weird about it. Instead, we can address it. We can note the personality differences. We can stay open to change. We can respect the distance of others. We can avoid blame, and in doing so, we create a space in which the Spirit of Jesus can bring life and restoration today.